Section 16 of Gray's Anatomy, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 5, by Henry Gray. The Abdomen, Part 1. The abdomen is the largest cavity in the body. It is of an oval shape, the extremities of the oval being directed upward and downward. The upper extremity is formed by the diaphragm, which extends as a dome over the abdomen, so that the cavity extends high into the bony thorax, reaching on the right side, in the mammary line, to the upper border of the fifth rib. On the left side, it falls below this level by 2.5 centimeters. The lower extremity is formed by the structures which clothe the inner surface of the bony pelvis, principally the levitator ani and the coccygeus on either side. These muscles are sometimes termed the diaphragm of the pelvis. The cavity is wider above than below, and measures more in the vertical than in the transverse diameter. In order to facilitate description, it is artificially divided into two parts, an upper and larger part, the abdomen proper and the lower and smaller part, the pelvis. These two cavities are not separated from each other, but the limit between them is marked by the superior aperture of the lesser pelvis. The abdomen proper differs from the other great cavities of the body in being bounded for the most part by muscles and fascia, so that it can vary in capacity and shape according to the condition of the viscera which it contains. But, in addition to this, the abdomen varies in form and extent with age and sex. In the adult male, with moderate distension of the viscera, it is oval in shape, but at the same time flattened from before backward. In the adult female, with a fully developed pelvis, it is ovoid with a narrower pole upward, and in young children it is also ovoid, but with a narrower pole downward. Boundaries it is bounded in front and at the sides by the abdominal muscles and the iliacus muscles, behind by the vertebral column and the sosus and quadratus laborum muscles, above by the diaphragm, below by the plane of the superior aperture of the lesser pelvis. The muscles forming the boundaries of the cavity are lined upon their inner surfaces by a layer of fascia. The abdomen contains the greater part of the digestive tube. Some of the accessory organs to digestion, viz., the liver and pancreas, the spleen, the kidneys, and the suprarenal glands. Most of these structures, as well as the wall of the cavity in which they are contained, are more or less covered by an extensive and complicated serous membrane, the peritoneum. The apertures in the walls of the abdomen. The apertures in the walls of the abdomen, for the transmission of structures to and from it, are, in front, the umbilical in the fetus, for the transmission of the umbilical vessels, the allantois and vitelline duct, above, the vena caval opening, for transmission of the inferior vena cava, the aortic hiatus, for the passage of the aorta, azagos vein, and thoracic duct, and the esophageal hiatus, for the esophagus and vagi. Below, there are two apertures on either side, one for the passage of the femoral vessels and the lumboinguineal nerve, and the other for the transmission of the spermatic cord in the male and the round ligament of the uterus in the female. 
Regions. For convenience of description of the viscera, as well as of reference to the morbid conditions of the contained parts, the abdomen is artificially divided into nine regions by imaginary planes, two horizontal and two sagittal, passing through the cavity, the edges of the planes being indicated by lines drawn on the surface of the body. Of the horizontal planes, the upper or transpyloric is indicated by a line encircling the body at the level of a point midway between the jugular notch and the symphys pubis. The lower by a line carried around the trunk at the level of a point midway between the transpyloric and the symphys pubis. The latter is practically the intertubular plane of Cunningham, who pointed out that its level corresponds with the prominent and easily defined tubercle on the iliac crest about five centimeters behind the anterior superior iliac spine. By means of these imaginary planes, the abdomen is divided into three zones, which are named from above downward, the subcoastal, the umbilical, and hypogastric zones. Each of these is further subdivided into three regions by the two sagittal planes, which are indicated on the surface by lines drawn vertically through points halfway between the anterior superior iliac spines and the symphys pubis. The middle region of the upper zone is called the epigastric, and the two lateral regions, the right and left hypochondriac. The central region of the middle zone is the umbilical, and the two lateral regions, the right and left lumbar. The middle region of the lower zone is the hypogastric or pubic region, and the lateral regions are the right and left iliac, or inguinal. The pelvis is the portion of the abdominal cavity which lies below and behind a plane passing through the promontory of the sacrum, lineae terminalis of the hip bones, and the pubic crests. It is bounded behind by the sacrum, coxi, piriformis, and the sacrospinous and sacrotuberous ligaments, in front and laterally by the pubis, and ischia and abitura torres internii. Above, it communicates with the abdomen proper. Below, it is closed by the levatoris ani and the coccygii and the urogenital diaphragm. The pelvis contains the urinary bladder, the sigmoid colon and rectum, a few coils of the small intestine, and some of the generative organs. When the anterior abdominal wall is removed, the viscera are partly exposed as follows. Above and to the right side is the liver situated chiefly under the shelter of the right ribs and their cartilages, but extending across the middle line and reaching for some distance below the level of the xiphoid process. To the left of the liver is the stomach, from the lower border of which an apron-like fold of the peritoneum, the greater omentum, descends for a varying distance, and obscures, to a greater or lesser extent, the other viscera. Below it, however, some of the coils of the small intestine can generally be seen, while in the right and left iliac regions respectively, the cecum and the iliac colon are partly exposed. The bladder occupies the anterior part of the pelvis, and if distended, will project above the symphys pubis. The rectum lies in the concavity of the sacrum, but is usually obscured by the coils of the small intestine. The sigmoid colon lies between the rectum and the bladder. When the stomach is followed from left to right, it is seen to be continuous with the first part of the small intestine, or duodenum, the point of continuity being marked by a thickened ring which indicates the position of the pyloric valve. The duodenum passes toward the undersurface of the liver, and then, curving downward, is lost to sight. If, however, the greater omentum be thrown upward over the chest, 
the inferior part of the duodenum will be observed passing across the vertebral column towards the left side where it becomes continuous with the coils of the jejunum and ilium these measure some six meters in length and if followed downward the ilium will be seen to end in the right iliac fossa by opening into the cecum the commencement of the large intestine from the cecum the large intestine takes an arched course passing at first upward on the right side then across the middle line and downward on the left side and forming respectively the ascending transverse and descending parts of the colon in the pelvis it assumes the form of a loop the sigmoid colon and ends in the rectum the spleen lies behind the stomach in the left hypochondriac region and may be in part exposed by pulling the stomach over toward the right side the glistening appearance of the deep surface of the abdominal wall and of the surface of the exposed viscera is due to the fact that the former is lined and the latter are more or less completely covered by a serous membrane the peritoneum the peritoneum tunica serosa the peritoneum is the largest serous membrane in the body and consists in the male of a closed sac part of which is applied against the abdominal parietes while the remainder is reflected over the contained viscera in the female the peritoneum is not a closed sac since the free ends of the uterine tubes open directly into the peritoneal cavity the part which lines the parietes is named the parietal portion of the peritoneum that which is reflected over the contained viscera constitutes the visceral portion of the peritoneum the free surface of the membrane is smooth covered by a layer of fattened mesothelium and lubricated by a small quantity of serous fluid hence the viscera can slide freely against the wall of the cavity or upon one another with the least possible amount of friction the attached surface is rough being connected to the viscera and inner surface of the parietes by means of areolar tissue termed the subserous areolar tissue the parietal portion is loosely connected with the facial lining of the abdomen and pelvis but is more closely adherent to the under surface of the diaphragm and also in the middle line of the abdomen the space between the parietal and visceral layers of the peritoneum is named the peritoneal cavity but under normal conditions this cavity is merely a potential one since the parietal and visceral layers are in contact the peritoneal cavity gives off a large diverticulum the omental bursa which is situated behind the stomach and adjoining structures the neck of communication between the cavity and the bursa is termed the epiplotic foramen foramen of winslow formerly the main portion of the cavity was described as the greater and the omental bursa the lesser sac the peritoneum differs from the other serous membranes of the body in presenting a much more complex arrangement and one that can be clearly understood only by following the changes which take place in the digestive tube during its development to trace the membrane from one viscous to another and from the viscera to the parietes it is necessary to follow its continuity in the vertical and horizontal directions and it will be found simpler to describe the main portion of the cavity and the omental bursa separately vertical disposition of the main peritoneal cavity greater sac it is convenient to trace this from the back of the abdominal wall at the level of the umbilicus in following the peritoneum upward from this level it is seen to be reflected around a fibrous cord the ligamentum teres obliterated umbilical vein which reaches from the umbilicus to the under surface of the liver 
This reflection forms a somewhat triangular fold, the falciform ligament of the liver, attaching the upper and anterior surfaces of the liver to the diaphragm and abdominal wall. With the exception of the line of attachment of this ligament, the peritoneum covers the whole of the undersurface of the anterior part of the diaphragm, and is continued from it onto the upper surface of the right lobe of the liver as the superior layer of the coronary ligament, and onto the upper surface of the left lobe as the superior layer of the left triangular ligament of the liver. Covering the upper and anterior surfaces of the liver, it is continued around its sharp margin onto the under surface where it presents the following relations. A. It covers the undersurface of the right lobe and is reflected from the back part of this onto the right suprarenal gland and the upper extremity of the right kidney, forming in this situation the inferior layer of the coronary ligament. A special fold, the hepatorenal ligament, is frequently present between the inferior surface of the liver and the front of the kidney. From the kidney, it is carried downward to the duodenum and the right colic flexure and medial ward in front of the inferior vena cava, where it is continuous with the posterior wall of the omental bursa. Between the two layers of the coronary ligament, there is a large triangular surface of the liver devoid of peritoneal covering. This is named the bare area of the liver and is attached to the diaphragm by areolar tissue. Toward the right margin of the liver, the two layers of the coronary ligament gradually approach each other, and ultimately fuse to form a small triangular fold connecting the right lobe of the liver to the diaphragm, and named the right triangular ligament of the liver. The apex of the triangular bare area corresponds with the point of meeting of the two layers of the coronary ligament, its base with the fossa for the inferior vena cava. B. It covers the lower surface of the quadrat lobe, the under and lateral surfaces of the gallbladder, and the under surface and posterior border of the left lobe. It is then reflected from the upper surface of the left lobe to the diaphragm as the inferior layer of the left triangular ligament, and from the porta of the liver, and the fossa for the ductus venosus to the lesser curvature of the stomach, and the first 2.5 centimeters of the duodenum as the anterior layer of the hepatogastric and the hepatoduodenal ligaments, which together constitute the lesser omentum. If this layer of the lesser omentum be followed to the right, it will be found to turn around the hepatic artery, bile duct, and portal vein, and become continuous with the anterior wall of the omental bursa, forming a free folded edge of the peritoneum. Trace downward, it covers the anterior superior surface of the stomach and the commencement of the duodenum, and is carried down into a large free fold, known as the gastrocolic ligament, or greater omentum. Reaching the free margin of this fold, it is reflected upward to cover the under and posterior surfaces of the transverse colon, and thence to the posterior abdominal wall as the inferior layer of the transverse mesocolon. It reaches the abdominal wall at the head and anterior border of the pancreas, is then carried down over the lower part of the head and over the inferior surface of the pancreas on the superior mesenteric vessels, and thence to the small intestine as the anterior layer of the mesentery. It encircles the intestine and subsequently may be traced as the posterior layer of the mesentery, upward and backward to the abdominal wall. From this it sweeps down over the aorta into the pelvis, where it invests the sigmoid colon, its reduplication forming the sigmoid mesocolon. 
leaving first the sides and then the front of the rectum it is reflected on to the seminal vesicles and the fundus of the urinary bladder and after covering the upper surface of this viscous is carried along the medial and lateral umbilical ligaments onto the back of the abdominal wall to the level from which a start was made between the rectum and the bladder it forms in the male a pouch the rectovesical excavation the bottom of which is slightly below the level of the upper ends of the vesicule seminales i e about seven point five centimeters from the orifice of the anus when the bladder is distended the peritoneum is carried up with the expanded viscous so that a considerable part of the anterior surface of the latter lies directly against the abdominal wall without the intervention of the peritoneal membrane pre-vesical space of retzias in the female the peritoneum is reflected from the rectum over the posterior vaginal fornix to the cervix and body of the uterus forming the rectouterine excavation pouch of douglas it is continued over the intestinal surface and fundus of the uterus on its vesical surface which it covers as far as the junction of the body and cervix uteri and then to the bladder forming here a second but shallower pouch the vesico-uterine excavation it is also reflected from the sides of the uterus to the lateral walls of the pelvis as two expanded folds the broad ligaments of the uterus in the free margin of each of which is the uterine tube vertical disposition of the omental bursa lesser peritoneal sac a start may be made in this case on the posterior abdominal wall at the anterior border of the pancreas from this region the peritoneum may be followed upward over the pancreas onto the inferior surface of the diaphragm and thence onto the caudate lobe and the caudate process of the liver to the fossa from the ductus venosus and the porta of the liver traced to the right it is continuous over the inferior vena cava with the posterior wall of the main cavity from the liver it is carried downward to the lesser curvature of the stomach and the commencement of the duodenum as the posterior layer of the lesser omentum and is continuous on the right around the hepatic artery bile duct and portal vein with the anterior layer of this omentum the posterior layer of the lesser omentum is carried down as a covering for the posterior inferior surfaces of the stomach and the commencement of the duodenum and is continued downward as the deep layer of the gastrocolic ligament or greater omentum from the free margin of this fold it is reflected upward on itself to the anterior and superior surfaces of the transverse colon and thence as the superior layer of the transverse mesocolon to the anterior border of the pancreas the level from which a start was made it will be seen that the loop formed by the wall of the omental bursa below the transverse colon follows and is closely applied to the deep surface of that formed by the peritoneum of the main cavity and that the greater omentum or large fold of the peritoneum which hangs in front of the small intestine therefore consists of four layers two anterior and two posterior separated by the potential cavity of the omental bursa end of section sixteen